people say one thing and do another? Why is it so common to make airy statements and promises to encourage one another with our words, but rarely follow through to see those words become alive in action? What would it take for us as a people to say what we mean and mean what we say? With words like love, devotion, and sympathy leave our lips, will they hold the weight that they were truly meant to carry? Could we become people that have the right motive, that are true in our words, and that live out loud for all to see? I got a text, and Ben, Pastor Ben was like, hey, uh, Jay, uh, Brandon's got appendicitis. Will you preach this morning? And I was like, aye, aye, Captain. I'm your man. I'm here. And so he sent me the, he sent me the notes. I looked over them, and here I am, ready to preach. So uh, it's going to be exciting. 
you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, I got a little nervous at first. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? But I also kind of love thrill. And so this is kind of a thrill because you don't really know what's going to happen. And, and it's kind of like, okay, Lord, let's just see where it goes. And so it's kind of like you're seeing fear and I'm facing it I'm right there. Here we go, fear, let's wrestle. So um, if I bumble over a few words here and there, I hope you can forgive me. I'll try to make it funny. I'm not a funny person. So here we go. So uh, Ben had an opener, and I just thought I'd open with that too. So here we go. Um, how many of you remember freshman orientation in college? Let me see some hands. Oh, yeah, lots of hands. I remember it because I remember I was so bored in it. That's what I remember. I remember it was like, because really, I didn't even want to be in college to begin with. I remember I'd sit across from my parents, and they'd be like, you got to go to school. And I'd be like, no, I don't want to go to school. And like a little child, an 18-year-old, 245-pound body, I said no. And uh, then my parents said, well, I am done with you. I'm cutting you off. And I was like, okay, I'll go to school. So I was in first run orientation, but um, this is a story about, some of you probably heard it before, um, basically it's, it, students are in this freshman orientation, this professor comes in, and he's tasked with the responsibility of teaching on time management, which is always freshmen's most favorite subject, right? Time management, because they're experts at that, right? So. To try to illustrate what he wanted to teach, he pulls out this glass jar and he sets it on the table in front of them. And people are like, okay, what's he doing now? And so then he starts, he turns to his side and he picks up all these tennis ball-sized rocks. And he puts these rocks inside this jar. So he just puts one, two, maybe fills it up with 15 or so to where it's the very top. And so then he turns to the class and he says, is this jar full? And the class kind of, the ones at least that are paying attention, which I wasn't when I was in that class, they're paying attention and said, yeah, it's full. He said, really? It's full, huh? So then he turns, and he leans down underneath the desk, and he pulls out this bucket of like, gravel, which is just a smaller rock. And he starts pouring the gravel into the, the glass jar. And so he fills up the glass jar with gravel. And then he turns to the students and he says, is it full now? And so some of the students have kind of caught on, they're like, they're not really sure what to say, but they're like, no, it's not full. And he's like, good, you're learning. So then he turns down, he picks up another picture. This time it's got sand, so even smaller rocks. He starts pulling these smaller rocks in, they sand, and so filling up the glass jar all the way to the top. And so then he turns and he says, he says students, is this jar full? So now the class is super confident, and I want you to shout out what they say. What do they say? Yes. No, it's not full. Y'all are as bad as those freshmen are. Pull out the pictures. He pulls out another picture. This time he's got water. And he pours it in, and he fills the glass jar all the way to the top of the water. And he says, what is the point of this illustration? And so one student who's probably a gunner stands up and he's like, I know the answer. Super confident, like I'm being right now. Super confident. And he says, the point of the method of this glass jar is to show us that no matter how full your schedule is, if you work really, really hard, you can fit more into it. 
super profound, right? This man, I'm sure he was going to major in philosophy. That was what his major is. And the teacher says, no. The point of this metaphor is to say that if you don't start with the big rocks, you'll never get them in a glass jar. Because if you start with the sand, or you start with the water, or you start with the gravel, you'll never be able to fit those big rocks back in that glass jar. And I think the professor probably left it that. Soon students could figure out, you know, like the, the finer details of that. But the truth is, is that just means that we get distracted by things a lot, right? Like the things that don't matter in life. Like for me in college, what I got distracted by that kept me from my big rocks that I needed to do, like getting good grades, I got distracted by video games, which is a huge beneficial use of my time, right? And I just spent hours, hours playing those video games. You can ask my wife, I'm married. I was married, I'm in law school. I'm supposed to be like learning how to defend people in the court of law. And I'm like, no, I want to fight the Zerg in my StarCraft game. Which is super relevant to real life, right? That's a big rock in my life, right? No, no. And so we get distracted by these little things. And it's like we get these ideas that, you know, we make this list of our life, the big things that we've got to do. And if we think like, oh, if I check this thing off, then I'll have so much free time to do the things that are important. But the truth is, is even after you mark those few things off, somehow your list never empties. It just fills up with other things. And if you're not intentional, it fills up with garbage. You know, stuff that's useless. Things that aren't beneficial, a waste of time. Like I did with video games as a married man and a father. You know, so, waste of time. With that being said, it's important to not just think about big rocks as students. It's important to think about big rocks as believers in Christ. Because that's really the most important thing for us, right? As followers of Jesus... Those of us in this room that have chosen to follow Jesus and to obey his commands and to make him the Lord of our life, it's important to know what he said the big rocks of our life should be. And so this is important. And Jesus was pretty smart. So he didn't just leave it up to chance for us to try to figure it out. So he just flat out told us what the most important things were. If you turn to Matthew 22, 36, tells us what these big rocks are. A man came up to Jesus and he basically asked him this question. He says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Just for a second. The reason this is important and why it's a big rock is because for a Jew at the time of Jesus, the law was preeminent. That it, it, it covered every aspect of their society. From the day they were born all the way to the day they died and everything they did and every career they had, the law judge those things, the law was involved. So it was basically, what's the most important thing for me to do in life? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus tells us love is what the two the big rocks are in the life of a believer. And that means loving God and loving people. But he doesn't just say love God. He says love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
every aspect of who you are, every aspect of your personality, every aspect of your will, every aspect of what makes you you, you're supposed to love God. And if that's not hard enough, he goes on top of that and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love other people. It's not an easy task to love other people, is it? Sometimes it feels, I mean, it's hard enough to try to love God and not love ourselves more than Him, but when we throw in people on top of that, it feels really hard, doesn't it? One thing we need to know, too, is what is the definition of love we're even working with here? Because the world has lots of different definitions of love. You know, my daughter, Alaska, tells me she loves me. And I believe she does. I know she does. But she loves me the way a four-year-old loves someone. Right? She doesn't she doesn't have the grasp of life yet to know what that love means putting the other person before yourself. Right? She loves me because I love her, right? Which is a huge picture of how God, you know, our response to God. We love God because He first loved us. And then there's people who love their dog, or people who love their job, people who love and then you get into you know more relevant forms of love, like people who love their spouse or a, or a parent who loves their child. And as you get further along in your maturation of your definition of love, it looks more and more, hopefully, like God's definition of love, which means not putting yourself first. But the definition we're going to work with today basically says that love is the unconditional affection and servitude towards others. Unconditional affection. It's like, I think about that word and it, it's like, it flows off out of your mouth so quickly and it feels like, oh, it's super, super easy to say because, I mean, we use that word a lot in society, unconditional love. And it almost gives it like this, like weightlessness almost, like, it, like oh, it's easy. When really, if you stop and think about what unconditional love is, it should feel like super heavy because it's hard. Unconditional love means that there's nothing that that person, the target of your love, can do that would make them undeserving of your love. Nothing that they do. No condition, no word they say, no thing they do could ever stop you from loving. And it's like, whoa. I don't know if I really exemplify that version of love. And then he says not only that, not only to love them like that, but to serve them on top of it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with the idea of serving other people. You know, I want to I wanna be served. I want to be the one in charge. I want to be, you know, take care of myself. So it's a hard standard. And yet this is the standard that Jesus says. You know, he says all of the law can be summarized in these, one, this one, two, these two things. Love God with all your heart and love people. And yet it feels almost impossible. You know, I love one thing about Pastor Ben. He's had known each other for probably 22 years now. Um, we've been best friends for close to 15. And I remember, you know, I was kind of more the type of person who, like, I like to think about things and I like to theorize and come up with ideas and principles and theories and philosophies and all this other stuff. And I'd come to him and be like, I just love this great. Yeah. And he's like, 
okay, that's great, but how does that like practically apply to life? <laughs> I'm just kind of like, oh, man. I thought I'd come up with a big secret. I'd come up with this huge, amazing thing, and then he made me realize, like, you know, what I was talking about didn't have any weight to it. Kind of like when we just talk about unconditional love and just say it, but we don't apply it. All right, so if you can have great intentions, but if you don't apply it, it doesn't mean anything. And so he's challenged me my whole life to put things into practice, to apply things, because that's how Ben is. He's always application. He's always like, let's do this. Like, how do we take this thing that's great in theory and put it into practice? Well, Jesus did the same thing for us. He didn't just leave love and the command as this kind of vague, like, just go love others. He goes into details. He puts it into application for us. So turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 6. Verses 27 through 36. This is the passage of the, the most of this. It echoes the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew. And it's the same passage. It's talking, he's echoing the same things. And it's also where we get what people know as the golden rule from, which we all know the golden rule. So let's, let's dive in real quick and see what Jesus tells us more about love. But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So he, he, Jesus really kind of goes in a big detail for us of what he's expecting by his command to love. Right? It's not just like a feeling. Like, oh, well, I love that person. And that's enough. He's not, he's not pulling a Jason where he just has ideas that aren't applicable. He's saying, I want you to apply your love to people. So he, he talks to them in, in their state of being, their society, right? So their society, people used to wear tunics and cloaks. And basically, the cloak was the outer garment. The tunic was the inner garment. So when he says to them, hey, if someone asks for your cloak, you better give them your tunic also. Because that's what love is. And he talks about, like, when someone comes and asks to, to borrow money, give it to them. And don't expect anything in return. Even your enemies. Right? Like, it's, it's a big standard. And it's almost, he spends more time talking about loving your enemies than he says just about loving people. Because we think, most of the time, if you're like me, that when I do something, like when I love my neighbor, right, or let's say a friend who needs help, let's say a friend um, he used to borrow a car. And I let him borrow my car. Like, I feel good, right? I kind of pat myself on the back. Like, look how good I am. 
We're kind of on love and friend here, right? Jesus isn't, that's not what Jesus says love is, right? That's not enough. Jesus says, I, that'd be more like if my enemy showed up at my door, needing to borrow my car. And I said, okay, take my car. That's more of like a practical application of what Jesus is saying. But we don't live by that. We think that if we love our friends, that means we've met the standard. But Jesus calls us to a higher standard, loving our enemy. And really, he puts these things, you can see these things even echoed all the way back in the Old Testament. God doesn't change. So the things that Jesus is saying in the New Testament, we see them echoed in the Old Testament. So when God gave the Ten Commandments to the Jews, he said, he was basically some, he was basically detailing again, just like Jesus did in Luke, what it means to please God, to love God and to love people. So some of the passages, some of the commandments talk about loving God. And then the others talk about loving people. So for instance, if you love God, the Ten Commandments say you won't have any other gods before him. You won't have idols. You won't take his name in vain. And you will remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then it goes on, if you love people, it says that you will honor your parents. You won't murder, commit adultery, steal, lie, or covet. Those things are all kind of like applications to this idea of loving God and loving people. I remember when I was in high school, um, I remember, I mean, it was like, I had to memorize all this sermon on that in one Bible class, um, which was pretty cool. Because, I mean, I had read the sermon on that plenty of times growing up. As a, I mean, I kind of grew up in church, grew up loving Jesus. I, I found the Lord at five years old and kind of followed him the whole time. So I had this idea, like, I had it figured out. I knew what Jesus wanted. I'm doing it. I'm doing a good job. Jesus loves me. He thinks I'm awesome. All that kind of stuff. But then I looked at the Sermon on the Mount as I'm, like, trying to memorize this, this class, for this class. I'm reading it. see it in his face because he's, he's turning pretty red. I don't really know why he's angry. I'm not, I haven't done anything to him. I've just started trying to get him to So he comes right up to me in the shower and he's like, you're done. Get out of the way. I'm like, whoa, whoa. I just started it. I don't really know what's going on at this point. I'm kind of shocked. And then out of the blue, he goes, if you don't get out of the way, I'm going to punch you in the face. You know, I'm not too worried right now because even though he's a senior, I'm a junior, he's about a foot shorter than me. So I'm not, I don't really feel threatened for my life, but I'm more confused because we're in the shower and he's attacking, he's like threatening me. And uh, so all of a sudden, I'm like, 
that's the thing about those things. Like, this is strange. He hits me in the face. I mean, just winds up and hits me as hard as he can. And at that moment, you can imagine what I was thinking. I can take a punch. That was my thought. I got happy for a second, actually, because I was like thinking, wow, I've never been hit in the face before, and I know I can take it now. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a man. I'm a man. Because, you know, as you're growing up, you're thinking, oh, man, what would it feel like to get punched in the face? Could I do it? Would I get knocked out? Would I make it? I don't know. Now I found out. And I guess as I'm having this, like, inner dialogue in my head, he's getting angry because apparently I'm not reacting the way he wanted me to react after he punched me in the face. So he punched me again in the face. And I guess I'm just so, like, in awe of myself and my manhood, I didn't even think to pull up my arms to protect my face. I just let him hit me again. So then my response, of course, was I punched him. staring around, wondering what's going on. Anyway, it gets diffused. And one of my friends comes up to me, he also, like, was a leaves follower of Jesus and all this stuff, and he comes up to me and goes, man, you did good. You practiced what you preach. Because you turned the other <laughs> And I guess if you take the letter of the law, I did, right? I got hit in the face, and then I got hit in the face again. Which freed me up, of course, to punch him in the face. That's what Jesus was saying, right? Turn the cheek, and then you can hit that back. No. The spirit of the law would say, no, of course, don't respond back with violence or vengeance and all these things. But, of course, I'm just a kid, and this guy's coming up to me, my friend's saying, no, you did it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I understand. I did it. I followed what Jesus said. Right? Like, and it's funny, it's a funny thing, but it also shows us how little, even in those circumstances where I didn't do anything wrong, I still responded not the way that Jesus would have had me respond, right? I responded in violence, and I didn't love my friend, my the senior who was attacking me. You know, love is a is a thing that's that's what this series love out loud is all about. It's about love in action. So even though in this church, we're trying to do that trying to exemplify that. Um, because if we don't do it in action, how can we stand up here and ask all of you out here who are a part of Luminous, who make a Luminous is to also put your love in action? So one of the ways we've done that is for this fall, we asked the students, um, we asked the school, Hausman Elementary, if they would, if there was anything that their students needed. And they said, yeah, yeah, very good. So they sent us over this list of things like pencils and other stuff that a lot of students need. So they sent it to us. We gathered some money, a few hundred dollars, and we went and bought all these supplies and took to the school for them so that they had what they want. And that was just our way of trying to love the community. And it was great. The students loved it. Um, Hausman sent us a thank you card. Um, I'll read that to you real quick. They said, members of Luminous Church, thank you for your generous donations of school supplies for our students. Thank you for your kindness and recognizing that we have many students that need assistance. Your generosity is very appreciated. That's awesome. It's a, that's an awesome moment, an easy way to love your neighbor as yourself. But it's not very uh, provocative, is it? Like, I don't think anybody in the world would 
would stand up in righteous indignation. How dare you buy those pencils for those students? No. Everyone, even the sinners, even sinners would stand up and say, oh, that was great. You did a good job. Sometimes love isn't always what the right, it isn't always a popular thing. It isn't always a thing that everyone in the world is going to stand up and applaud. Why don't you check out this video and show you an example of that. Is there is no enemies. 
Christ. There is no flesh and blood in me. No one on this earth alive today breathing this air is an enemy of a follower of Jesus. Okay? So we need to, we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. The best way to summarize this, I think, is the Good Samaritan. Um, the Good Samaritan, the Samaritans, it's a, it's a passage, it's a, basically, passage, um, a story that Jesus tells us to make a point, and it's a parable. And basically, the Samaritans and the Jews at the time of Jesus were enemies. They did not get along. They didn't even interact with each other. Um, and basically, Jesus goes on to tell a story about how a Jew was walking on the road to Jericho one day. He was jumped by some robbers. They attacked him. They stole all of his stuff. And they left him for dead. And then along came a Pharisee. And a Pharisee was someone who was a master of the law. Meaning, like, they spent their whole life studying the law of God, which as we talked about before, he needs to love God and love people. So essentially, he should be a master of loving people and loving God. But when he sees this man beaten, he just passes right by. does nothing. Next came the Sadducee, who, very similar to the Pharisee, spent their life in the temple pursuing the law of the Lord. And what did he do? He just passed right by. Finally, the Samaritan came, the enemy of the Jew. But he responds differently. What he does is he comes up to the man, he picks him up, binds his wounds, puts him on his donkey, carries him to town, gets to a hotel, pays the hotel manager to watch the man and care for him for three days. And if he spends more money than that, he'll pay him when he gets back. And Jesus tells the story because before a man similar to the, the lawyer comes up to him and basically is trying to trick Jesus. And he's asked him, okay, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus tells him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your, love your neighbors as yourself. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? He's trying to stump Jesus. So Jesus tells him this story and he turns to him and says, which one was the neighbor? And the lawyer says, because he's trapped, he can't figure out a way out of it. He says, well, the Samaritan. And he said, well, you would do the same. So Jesus tells us that standard. Even our enemies are our neighbors in the kingdom of God. And we're called to love them. We're called to give things to them. We're called to give them like the Samaritan. He gave up his own money. He gave his donkey up. He gave his supplies up, his, his well-being up for this man who was his enemy. And he gave him up to love him. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. That's our highest calling, is to love God and love people. And by doing this, we fulfill and complete the mission that God's called us to. We've got one more video that I want to show you. It's a boy who's loving other people. We end tonight with a little boy with enormous power, the power to lift spirits. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. It is every kid's worst nightmare, and six-year-old Jade Hayes has lived it twice. First, he lost his dad when he was four. Then last month, his mom died unexpectedly in her sleep. I tried and I tried and I tried to get her away. Couldn't. Jade is understandably heartbroken. Anybody can die. Just anybody. But there's another side to his grief. Aside, he first made public a few weeks ago. 
when he told his aunt, and now guardian, Barbara DeCola, that he was sick and tired of seeing everyone sad all the time. And he had a plan to fix it. And that was the beginning of it. That's where the adventure began. Jane asked his Aunt Barbara to buy a bunch of little toys and bring them here to downtown Savannah, Georgia, near where he lives. So he could have it. Give them away. Thank you, man. What is it you're doing? Well, I'm trying to make people smile. Rubber donkeys, dinosaurs. Because those are the things that make people smile. Yeah. And what happens to their face? Jaden targets people who aren't already smiling and then turns their day around. He's gone out on four different occasions now, and he's always successful. It's to make you smile. Even if sometimes he doesn't get exactly the reaction he was hoping for. It is just so overwhelming to some people that a six-year-old orphan would give away a toy expecting nothing in return except a smile. Of course, he is paid handsome in hugs. And his aunt says these reactions have done wonders for Jaden. It's like sheer joy came out of this child. And the more people that he made smile, the more this likes you. Jaden says that's mostly true. But I'm so sad that my mom died. I bet you are. This is by no means a fix. But in the smiles he's made so far, nearly 500 at last count, Jaden has clearly found a purpose. I'm counting on it to beat 33,000. 33,000? Mm -hmm. That's a pretty big goal. Mm -hmm. You think you can make that goal? Mm -hmm. I thought you got a game. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Hartman on the road in Savannah, Georgia. And that's the CBS.
Martin Luther King said the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in the moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. That's the kind of man that Jesus was. His philosophy of life, his teachings, his actions didn't stop and only go so far. He took them all the way. He didn't just love his friends. He didn't just love his neighbors. He loved his enemies because he loved us. He even went so far as to die for you and I while it says in the word that we were still enemies with him. He didn't just stand by in convenience. He didn't just stand by in love when it was received well. He stood before whole crowds of people who mocked him and beat him. And he did it because he loved every one of us. And that's the thing that he's called you and I to do. It's not some low standard that should be easy. It's not easy. He hasn't called you to walk an easy life. He's called you to walk a life like him, which means to love, to stand for things, to stand boldly for love and to love others. Not to get distracted by the things of this world, not to get distracted by little rocks and sand and water, but to let the big rocks be the central focus of your life, loving God and loving people. That's our encouragement to you. Let's go be like Jesus. And let's love. And let's love loud. And let's love bravely. Let's love courageously. Let's not hold back. Let's love our pe- the people around us and watch what God does. Watch this city change. Watch San Antonio be transformed before your eyes. If a people would stand up and say, I want to love like that. That's my encouragement to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much for the love of Jesus Christ. That he was a man who loved and loved his enemies as well as his friends, Lord God. Because by loving his enemies, he loved us. And he reached out for us and he found us, Lord God. He saved us, Lord. And we we are forever grateful and thankful for his sacrifice and his victory, Lord. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the endurance. Give us the perseverance, the hope, Lord God, to love and to love radically, to love unconditionally, and to serve others, Lord. Let us love this city. And let it be transformed by the power of your love. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your, 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 the closeness of you, Lord God, that you are always near us. Lord, thank you for being with the chaplains last night, Lord, as they had their medical emergency, Lord. Thank you for being in that situation and protecting them. Thank you for a quick recovery, Lord. We just thank you. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we love you. We just pray, Lord, that uh, we just ask that if you have any prayer requests, that uh, there be prayer workers up forward. We encourage you to come forward, especially if you want to know more about this love of Jesus. Come forward. Get some prayer. We love you. Have a great Sunday. You're dismissed.